This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to mum in minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Kia ora, I'm Georgina Campbell. It's January 19 and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Just when you thought Wellington's water woes couldn't get any worse, they have. The city is facing severe water shortages, with warnings residents may have to boil their drinking water, people have queued for hours to get their hands on emergency water tanks, and some suburbs could run completely dry. It comes as the city is losing 44% of its treated drinking water to leaks, making for a communications nightmare when it comes to telling locals to conserve water. So, how did it get to this point, and why did councils let the situation get so bad before acting? Today on The Front Page, Greater Wellington Regional Council Chairman Darren Ponter joins us to discuss the looming crisis. Darren, the Wellington region has just moved to Level 2 water restrictions. Can you please explain what that means for residents in terms of what they have to do? Well, for householders, which is the bulk of users in the metropolitan area, it means no irrigation in your gardens, uh, no sprinklers, and uh, watering by hand only. So that for some people, that will be a, a reasonable uh, restriction. Uh, for some others, it will be what they've been doing already. And can you outline the restrictions if the region has to move up the scale? What would happen in Level 3 and Level 4? So in Level 3, you stop all outdoor water use unless you've got some source of water yourself, like a water tank. No particular impacts on commercial users at uh, Level 3. They start to come in at Level 4. Uh, level 4, everybody is being asked to significantly reduce indoor water use as well by up to 50%. Why does this situation appear to be so dire this year compared to previous years? That's a good question. I think that there are a number of reasons for it. One, we're sort of in an El Nino situation. So the climate for this period of the year is more dire and putting water provision under more stress. We have a situation where local authorities are wasting as much as 44% of the water that they are providing. That's certainly a huge contributor to this. And then thirdly, um, I think what you are seeing through Wellington Water is that there is a much greater emphasis on communicating and bringing a better understanding to the public of the situation that we are in. And so that, I suppose, is a way of saying we're not all that uncertain that we weren't in the same situation last year. We didn't have as keen an understanding 
of the situation we were in and we uh, didn't have as much attention last year and previous years to communicating our circumstances to the broader community. And of course, we were quite lucky last year because we had Cyclone Gabrielle, which sounds terrible to say that in that context, but in terms of water shortages, that topped up our water room and we didn't need to move to tighter restrictions. And I think just to highlight again what you said, you know, 44% of the region's drinking water is being lost through leaks. That's an increase from about 30% in 2021. We both live in Wellington, Darren. I see leaks everywhere. There was one next to my bus stop this morning that's been going for months now. One night earlier this week, I was at Seatoon Beach and there was a leak there that looked like a tap had just been left on. There was so much water coming out of it. Why are there so many leaks? Because that's making this problem a whole lot worse, right? Uh, yes, it is. And look, I'm an ordinary garden variety resident, just like you are. And I have found myself over the summer period filling out the leaks webpage to alert Wellington Water and Wellington City Council to leaks in my own neighbourhood. To answer your question, a number of reasons uh, that I think just mount up one on top of the other. The most fundamental is an ageing network possibly compounded by recent earthquakes that we've had over the last six, seven years, though that's not altogether clear, then a real underinvestment over many decades by all territorial authorities, the four territorial authorities that are part of Wellington Water in the metropolitan area, into the what we call the retail network. Now, the retail network is effectively the network that supplies our homes, the businesses in the Wellington Porirua Upper Hut and Lower Hut areas. As Wellington's water crisis deepens, demand for large storage tanks is so high that suppliers can't keep up with demand. Dozens joined a queue that snaked around Wellington's tip shop car park. Manager Shalali Shetty says demand for the 200 litre water tanks has been through the roof. But with around 45% of the region's water lost to leaks, Wellington Water says further restrictions are almost guaranteed. I want to get to the underinvestment in water infrastructure, but first, uh, Wellington Water Committee Chairman Campbell Barry says it's a communications nightmare, and I'm quoting him there, asking people to conserve water with these looming water shortages when there are leaks outside their homes going unfixed. So I wanted to hear how you would describe that situation, Darren. That makes the ask of the uh, Wellington metropolitan public all the more difficult when you can see on Lambton Quay or pretty much any street water flowing down your street, but you're also being asked to conserve water, it makes it really difficult to get a message through and people become quite resistant and bolshy to the messages that we're trying to deliver to them. In my view, I think probably the underinvestment in water infrastructure is the key reason why we're in this situation. All of the problems sort of lead back to this one thing. Why have councils not invested properly in this historically? Potentially a number of reasons for that. One, I don't think that they have a, a systems approach to actually making that investment. So water and investment in water is... Uh, lined up against everything else that a city council may wish to invest in, isn't given any particular priority over those things. 
it should be a core and fundamental activity for investment. And the other things that a city might invest in, like new town halls or refurbished town halls or bike lanes or whatever the issue might be, they should be secondary issues. And there are a number of things that sit within that core element for council. So what that suggests is that we don't have the systems and processes and perhaps the regulatory authority in place to direct where and how and how much councils invest. And over time, we've progressively got into this situation. It is now extremely difficult to dig your way out of this situation. On a previous episode of this podcast, Bernard Orsman suggested that central and local governments need to work together more closely to tackle the budget crisis in our big cities. Every new government that comes into office talks about building strong relations with local government, but at the end of the day, central government has not been willing to hand over new funding tools like ending GST on rates, pain rates on Crown property that would take the pressure off all the councils around the country. And if anything, successive governments have added costs to local government. What do you think about that, Darren, and where central government might be able to step in here? Look, I do think that having just said that we've got a sort of systemic problem here, some of the answer to that systemic problem does lead you to the doorstep of government and looking to change the systems and processes that we have in place under the Local Government Act and various other pieces of legislation to ensure that councils' minds are much more focused on the core infrastructure that they have responsibility for and the job in hand. And so I do think that there is a a very strong role for government in providing answers to this. But I'm also wary of councils developing a view that the government should somehow bail them out of the situation. There may need to be some consideration to that. But a large part of the situation that we are in at the moment is as a consequence of councils not making the right investment decisions over many decades. And I think it sends the wrong message if the government as the white knight comes over the hill with a bucket of money, if you like, because it only incentivizes that same behaviour. So we really do need to have a big change in the way in which we prioritise investment. So specifically on these water shortages that we're facing this summer, what are some of the solutions to this? In terms of the immediate crisis that we are facing, it is people really taking heed of the advice that they're being given by Wellington Water and their local councils to start restricting their consumption, to report the water leaks that they have, and for the councils to take even further action to adequately fund Wellington Water to address those leaks. This is not a $2 million problem or a $5 million problem. Councils are going to have to put several zeros on the end of the amount of money that they're willing to commit to. And so they need to have hard and agonising decisions over their priorities as part of their long-term planning. 
but also in terms of any funding that they have available in the next two to three months. What about water meters? Because Kapiti Coast District Council has got water meters, but a lot of councils in the region don't, including Wellington City. How would they help and why do we not have them already? So we don't have water meters because in all areas where they have gone in, they have raised significant community debates about how they are applied and how people will be affected. So even if you go back to the time when the water meters were put in on the Kapiti Coast, there was quite a vociferous element within the community that pressed back on water meters. And the four metropolitan councils within this uh, region have also faced that to some extent. In recent times, there's been, I suppose, a clearer sense that the time for water meters has come. Uh, Some of the councils are now looking to be better informed by a business case around that. But I suspect the time for engagement and seeking the permission of the community has largely now gone. We are on a a road to water meters, it really is a matter of how quickly some of those uh, councils can organize themselves politically, operationally, and from a funding perspective. Wellington Water calculates there are more than 3,000 leaks across the region. The big problem, there isn't enough funding to maintain the pipes. It's primarily driven by underinvestment in an ageing network. We don't want to see huge increases in rates and taxes. And water meters are quite interesting because not only, I think, does it make the consumer potentially be more mindful about how much water they're using, like turning the tap off while they're brushing their teeth, alarmingly, they also can detect even more leaks. Yeah, and it's depending on where the water meters are placed, they will not only identify leaks within the public network, they will also have the real potential of identifying leaks between the Toby and the tap. So we pick up the private network as well, and that's as important in terms of leaks as stuff that's happening on the public network. What about a new water storage lake? Is the region looking at something like that as well? Yeah, so the provision of water in the Wellington metropolitan area, the ultimate source is controlled and managed by the regional council through Wellington Water. So we currently tap water from three sources, the Kaitoki Dams and a catchment that provides water to those dams, the Hutt River Aquifer, and then the Wainuia Mata catchment. So three large sources Insufficient going forward, what we have advised the territorial authorities of is that we are happy to start and we will start the design works for two new dams at Pakaratahi, but we are reticent to press go on the actual build of those until we see some significant movement in addressing the leaks and putting water meters in. Dam infrastructure sounds simple but it's not cheap, and two new dams in the Takurutahi area are going to look like the thick end of a billion dollars. Last week, there were reports of a Wellington water staffer being investigated for boasting on social media about slacking off in the midst of this crisis. 
Are staff taking this seriously and can residents be assured that Wellington Water is focused and, and working hard on this issue? Yeah, disappointed to see that uh, story. But look, I've just an hour ago come out of a meeting with officers in, who have had responsibility for the provision of water in the network. And I can assure you that they are very focused on the issues ahead of us and the circumstances that we're currently in. There are ongoing meetings between Wellington Water, the four territorial authorities, Greater Wellington, and also Tamata Arawai, the water regulator. Well, let's finish off with some good news. Fresh figures from Wellington Water's risk modelling shows there is now a 60% chance the region will move to those level three restrictions that you outlined earlier. And that's down from the 76% chance previously forecast. But regardless, it's still more likely to happen than not. So Darren, how does the region navigate potentially years of water shortages until some of these solutions that we've talked about can be put in place? Well, as a collective, the four territorial authorities, Greater Wellington, Wellington Water, we are working through the issue of how we get long-term certainty to our communities and to our commercial users. That means that there are serious conversations now about water metering about additional money to Wellington Water to fix leaks. And as I've indicated, um, the Regional Council through Wellington Water is starting the process to design the water storage facilities in the upper catchment area. Those things together are sort of operational things, but then there's also still the bigger question that has been left hanging with the termination of the three waters model about how we have a better structure in the future. We have a very muddled environment here. Certainly Greater Wellington Regional Council doesn't want to be the provider of water, and that may sound like a strange thing to say, but we are also the regulator uh, from an environmental perspective, and we think that our core role should be as the Environmental Protection Agency, not as the deliverer of water. We will start conversations with ministers this year around how we take some of the key features of the Three Waters proposal and potentially build up a new model that uh, this government can take forward. Thanks for joining us, Darren. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Ethan Sills with sound engineer Paddy Fox. I'm Georgina Campbell. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts and tune in on Monday for another look behind the headlines.